2: It was just one of those stories that, it did affect me personally. I think I went home that day and hugged my babies a little tighter, you know, and said a few more prayers of thanks for them, that I would be able to, to watch them grow up and know where they are and know, you know, what they were doing and know that they
1: were okay. Oh, absolutely shocking, absolutely shocking. Um, you know, We work at the hospital where we have lots of women who are trying so hard to keep their babies in and not deliver prematurely or are battling health um, issues and are just trying to have a healthy baby or get through their pregnancy and so this is like so counter to all of that. You know, someone who would just leave a baby, um, just kind of went against the grain of what is right.
0: I was working at my desk when I got a phone call. It was Terry Sims. She had a story idea for me. Terry and I had worked together on a previous segment that went well, and she was hoping I would be interested in this feature piece. But as we talked, I was struggling to see where the story was. I needed a nugget, an angle that would make this idea different from similar pitches. I kept pushing for more information, thinking she would share a detail that would be the hook I was looking for. Then, Terry did say something that drew me in. You kept asking me questions about the story and you were intrigued and then then you started doing research and you called me because you finally found some articles and then you found the news coverage that was done back then. I had no idea just how big this was.
1: I think anytime you're looking at a child that's innocent, helpless, and in need of care and attention, I think it is a shock. For a while, I wasn't really proud
3: of where I came from. <laughs> and it took me a while to really accept it, but when I did,
2: there's nothing can really take that away from me.
0: From the Tribune Audio Network, I'm Fox 8's Natalie Wilson, and this is What Happened to Baby Doe. My news director read the script for the segment that came from Terry's news tip. He came rushing out of his office, asking me if I had pulled the tape. It didn't take him long to make the connection. My photographer couldn't find it, so my news director told me to ask Kay. When you want to find what's nearly impossible to find in our newsroom, you ask Kay. Hey Kay, can I have your help with something Sure, yeah. Sure enough, she'd found it. She handed me a clunky gray tape case that had probably been sitting untouched for years. We opened it, popped the beta tape into the machine, and with the push of a few buttons, we were back in time. It was November 12, 1999.
3: We're hopeful that uh, uh, this getting out uh, on the news will will spur someone to give us
0: a call.
1: Fox 8, Lisa Leno.
0: Assignment editor Lisa Leno is in charge of coordinating what stories reporters and photographers cover.
1: She was working that day.
3: Hold of the, uh, caller.
1: I don't believe I was here when it came across the scanner. I think maybe we knew that there was some law enforcement activity going on at that location, but we hadn't quite pinpointed exactly what it was, and we were sending a crew to check that out.
0: A 911 call came from 1808 McKnight Mill Road. Sergeant Dale Nix was a telecommunicator with the Greensboro Police Department then. He tried to be the calming voice on the other end of the line.
3: It's kind of one of those calls that sticks with you, uh, no matter how many years go through. With this kind of case, given uh, the nature, uh, police fire, and emails would have been dispatched.
0: You would write down from 8 o'clock the morning you went on duty, like this was 11, 11.99, to 8 o'clock, 11,
1: 12.99. Everything you do or did during the day, the calls, the training, and whatever, it's listed here.
0: There it was in red writing at the bottom of the right page under 626 AM. The fire crew received information about an apartment complex stairwell, the one that was just a few steps away from Tony McNair's door. I would never, I would never forget it, never forget it. Sometimes there are moments we'll never forget because we want to remember them. And sometimes there are moments we'll never forget because as someone once told me, Some things you just can't unsee.
3: I was getting ready for work and I walked out that morning. It was so cold. And I stepped out and I thought I heard a kitten. And I looked over and I saw it was a baby. And she opened her eyes at me and she was whimpering. And so... The umbilical cord was wrapped up under her arm, and I ran back in the house and yelled for my sons, DeMond, DeMond, boogie, boogie, it's a baby out here, it's a baby out here, call 911.
0: Those are nicknames for her sons Willie and Ricky. Willie, her oldest son, made the call.
3: 911, what is your emergency? Oh my gosh, a baby, it's a baby, it's a baby, like, we need help, we need help so my youngest son ran out there and he wanted to pick her up, but I told him not to pick her up because I knew it was a crime scene.
0: They waited for help. Police got there first.
3: And you can hear them. It was like they was right there.
0: Engine seven got there after that. As the log book shows, there was a radio alarm for a newborn found under the stairs.
1: Oh, my goodness, you know, what are, we're really dealing with um, something much different than what we
0: thought. Immediately, there was a wave of concern.
3: It's one of those first instincts that pops in your head is, oh, Lord, it's, it's kind of cold out there. It was so cold. It was freezing.
0: Newsrooms were starting to send crews to the scene.
1: You know it's going to be an emotional story when you send somebody to something like that.
0: These were the words that echoed inside thousands of homes.
1: Under a simple
2: stairwell, police say in the night cold, a newborn baby lay. Baby's umbilical cord was still attached this morning when it was found. I'm Cindy Farmer. I'm Brad Jones. Now, Fox
0: 8 Morning anchors Brad Jones and Cindy Farmer remember this story well. Out of all they've seen in more than 30 years of broadcasting.
2: I think some stories are kind of here and then they're gone. But some stories stick around because of the people involved. And when you talk about a newborn child, everybody identified there. Every parent kind of saw this and thought, you know, what a, what a, what a sad story. What, what's going to happen to this child? So many questions. Who is it? How did she get left there? How did she survive? You've seen murders. You've seen, you know, lives lost. Um, but to abandon a child and being a new mom at that time, it just really hit me hard.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like Forge FX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com/slash/metaverseimpact. Cindy's children were two and one at the time. This story also hit her because something else came to mind. I
2: remember thinking that, you know, this was actually the second case where a child was found abandoned since I had given birth to to my daughters. The first one, um, the baby was abandoned in a, a dumpster.
0: And that meant pulling another tape from the archive room. This time, one of our editors, Angie, found it. There was a wide shot of what looked like a dark green dumpster with crime scene tape around it. The other clips were of people carrying a tiny white casket and of the gravesite where the baby was laid to rest. There was a close up of her headstone. It read, Baby Jane Doe, found deceased January 30th, 1997. And below that was a message. May we reach out in love to
2: every child in need. So when I heard about this story, I really wanted in my heart of hearts for this baby to survive. The baby
0: found under the stairs would be taken to the hospital, where now people would have to pray and hope that her story wouldn't end as abruptly as the one before her
1: to have a baby that's fighting and hanging in there, you know, you're rooting for that child. (laughs) The baby
0: was taken to the neonatal intensive care unit at Women's Hospital. (laughs) I wanted to know as much as people working that day could remember, but it was tough. A lot happens in people's lives within 20 years. Some didn't work there anymore and some who were still there couldn't remember. But with the help of social media, we got in touch with Catherine Conquer Maeve. And I've always been curious about what happens to children
1: once they go home. You know,
0: how... She was kind enough to invite us to her home. In November of 1999, she was a neonatal nurse practitioner at Women's Hospital.
1: I joined the nurses who were preparing for the baby and uh, you know, started to worry about what, what I was going to encounter. Uh, medically, I was concerned you know, that the baby would be cold, hypothermic. Um, we could have low blood glucose levels, um, certainly a risk of infection, not knowing where she had been born. Um, we didn't know her gestation, whether she was full term or premature, and that can certainly affect their breathing and overall survival. So, those sorts of things were going through my head. And then, of course, I was thinking okay, what happened? You know, who? What happened that a mom would leave her baby like that? You know, was, was she hiding the pregnancy? You know, was she young? Um, was she threatened in some way? So I had a lot of kind of empathy for the, for the mom because I knew that's not something people want to do is to leave their baby. The baby made it to the hospital, alive. I can see her in her spot. She was on the right. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember her looking full term Um, I did a physical on her, I believe, and everything looked right. It was really just an issue of um, managing her blood sugar and her temperature and, of course, um, getting some samples of blood to uh, check for infection, starting antibiotics, and then um, seeing how, how she responded to everything. As seconds passed, Kathy's colleagues were also trying to wrap their heads around the news. Great concern by all the nurses, respiratory therapists, doctors, you know, practitioners that followed me afterwards. Just concerned, very concerned. You know, we all want to save this baby.
0: Someone snapped a picture with an instant camera. Written in the blank space with green marker was the name given to people without a name. In this case, an infant, only known as Baby Doe. Date of birth, 11-12-99. Photo taken, 11-12-99. Meanwhile, the press was calling, requesting interviews for an update on her condition.
1: She was uh, 6 pounds, 13 ounces. By our assessment at the time, the infant had moderate to severe hypothermia.
0: She was found wrapped in a bed sheet. It was a serious situation.
1: Yes, it is. It definitely it slows down the... Um, metabolic rate, um, the babies can stop breathing, can slow down the heart rate. Uh, we've had other cold babies come in and you know, you'll listen to them and the heart rate is just really low.
0: Out of that great concern also came the feeling that everybody was working toward a common goal, and not just medically. She didn't have anybody, and so she was gonna have us. For starters, she wasn't going to be Baby Doe anymore. She'd been found in an area not far from Carolina Circle Mall. So somebody said, well, let's call her Caroline.
1: And they made it a little name tag with Caroline on it.
0: And Rebecca Miles, a volunteer cuddler, or NICU nanny as it's now called, was determined that Caroline would feel a warm embrace. I knew she was alone. And that's who I'm there to hold, the babies who
1: need holding. And any baby that doesn't have family, well, that's who the cuddlers are going after.
0: In the more than 20 years she's been welcoming babies into her arms, she still has fond memories of this one.
1: She made eye contact. She was a baby who looked at you and made eye contact and you could tell she was, she was so smart
0: and she was figuring things out. And she just had so much
1: personality right there.
0: As Caroline was getting the attention she desperately needed, she was doing well and appeared to be a healthy baby. Hi, Detective Hines. Hi, I'm Natalie Wilson. Oh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. One woman would see that firsthand. I remember thinking she was a beautiful little girl. Even though no family had come to claim her, Caroline did have at least one visitor while she was in the hospital. Detective Ruth Woodard, now Detective Ruth Hines, with the Greensboro Police Department.
3: I would go there and check on her and make sure she was okay. And I mean, she did good. She did really well.
0: But as I could see from this baby's medical record, so much of her story was still a mystery. Under time of birth, unknown. Under the heading characteristics of biological parent, there appears to be an X next to where it says birth mother. There's nothing written next to where it says birth father. I could pull it
3: for you if you like, if you want it.
0: Detective Hines was working hard to fill in those blanks. Well, as an
3: an investigator, you you try to think of all the possibilities of what could have happened. Um, Obviously, um, I was suspicious of the fact that the baby was left um, at this particular household.
0: Strangers who saved a life at the center of suspicion on the next episode of What Happened to Baby Doe. If you or someone you know is pregnant and afraid, know that there are so many safe options available to give your child a healthy life. Abandonment is not the answer. People are willing to help. Visit nationalsafehavenalliance.org or call the hotline at 1-888-510-BABY. Again, that's 1-888-510-BABY. You can also text Safe Haven one word, to 313 313- 131. If you like the podcast, make sure to tell a friend and give us a five-star review. It really helps get the word out. You can also find stories on myfox8.com where we have video that goes along with this series, What Happened to Baby Doe. What Happened to Baby Doe was written and produced by me, Natalie Wilson. Edited and co-produced by Matt Jensen. Vinny Bocanfuso helped too with our interviews. Our executive producer is Derek Stetzler. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio
2: Network.